This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Your best shout ever. Reading from Isaiah 54. Sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem. You have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband, says the Lord. Enlarge your house. Build an addition. Spread out your home. Spare no expense. For you will soon be bursting at the seams. And your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined cities. Fear not. You will not live longer in shame. Do not be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. For you will no longer remember the shame of your youth. And the sorrows of widowhood, for your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you back from your grief, as though you were a young wife abandoned by her husband, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandon you. But with great compassion, I will take you back. In a burst of anger, I turned my face away for a little while. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Just as I swore in the time of Noah that I would never again let a flood cover the earth, so now I swear that I will never again be angry and punish you. For the mountains may move and the hills disappear. But even then, my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord who has mercy on you. O storm-battered city, troubled and desolate, I will rebuild you with precious jewels and make your foundations from lapis lazuli. I will make your towers of sparkling rubies, your gates of shining gems, and your walls of precious stones. I will teach all your children, and they will enjoy great peace. You will be secure under a government that is just and fair. Your enemies will stay far away. You will live in peace, and terror will not come near. If any nations come to fight you, it is not because I sent them. Whoever attacks you will go down in defeat. I will create the blacksmith who fans the coals beneath the forge and makes the weapons of destruction. And I have created the armies that destroy. But in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. 
you will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord, and their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. That was um, my scripture last year, and uh, I read it, and 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 um, the word of God can never be denied. It is always true. He always comes through time and time and time and time again. I didn't know when he gave me that scripture what my journey in in 2020 would look like, Um, but I am so thankful that he gave me that. Um, ahead of time. So just so incredibly thankful um, for who he is and for that word. So before I get started, you know, it's really hard to take a seven-month journey um, and try to put it into a 30-minute sermon for you all. So um, I'm going to try really hard to share this in a, in a way that's applicable to you. Um, never is my life about me. It, it um, stopped being about me when I was about 15 years old. Now, me pops up every now and then, but it stopped being about me at that point, and today is no different. So this story is not about me. It's about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who I serve, the one who is faithful. So there may be a lot of talk about what, what I went through, but I want you to understand that this story is about the fact that you have a redeemer. Not only do I have a redeemer, but you have a redeemer. Amen. So, and he is alive in 2021. And um, my my story doesn't end with with today. My story keeps on going and going and going. um, And so does yours. So, so that's where we're at today. And before we get started, there are just some people that I want to thank who have been there during. during these past seven months, particularly my family. So, my girls and my husband, um, my son-in-law, son-in-law-to-be. You know, I remember the day that that Mark and I got the phone call. I remember the day that I had to share with him. I remember the day that I had to share with my girls, um, you know, that I had been given a cancer diagnosis. And it just was not fun to have to share with with them. I had a pregnant um, daughter who was about to give birth. The timing was just crappy. The enemy never, uh, you know, gives us what we want. So um, anyway, uh, timing was crappy. I had to have a conversation with a a pregnant daughter. I had to have a conversation with a ninth grader um, and with the, the girls in the middle. And I'm telling you, um, you pour into your children and you're not quite sure. You ever look in their eyes like after you've poured into them and you're like, are you getting this? You know, does it work? <laughs> you, you watch their actions sometimes and you're just like, I have no idea. You know, if anything that I've said has sunk in and I'm telling you, they are rock stars. So they just took the news and they went to the throne room of heaven and they stood and they declared... Um, they prayed. So everything that I put in, even my littlest, she stood. I mean, she would not, not one negative word came out of her mouth. Not one. And it just was amazing to me. So thank you to them. Um, thank you to the staff here at Believer's Church. Uh, when I first got the news, and I'll get into 
to my story in a minute. But when I first got the news, I was like, woohoo, you know, Jesus is bigger than cancer. Yes, I'm here, yada, yada. About two months into it, I disappeared. So disappeared into a prayer closet, into a prayer house, um, into, uh, you know, just a battlefield, really, of my own. And so I was absent for quite a while. I had to retreat. And this staff did not let um, any of my responsibilities slip by. Jennifer and Nessa just rose to the occasion. Um, Penny and Gary in hospitality um, rose to the occasion. Sunshine Dean rose to the occasion and just took up slack when I was not here. And so a special thank you to all of them, to all of my serve teams and to our staff. So they are just phenomenal group of people. So I love them. I love serving with you all. Thank you so much. And then um, I, I'm not going to get into all of the friends who called and texted me um, or reached out to me, but there were three particular women um, who just rose to the occasion as being very, very good friends, um, and uh, Allison Thornton was one, um, Laverne McGee was one, and Diana uh, Boss was one. Um, I know that that is not her last name, that's her Instagram hashtag, <laughs> um, but they just came alongside me, and if you if you are ever in need, I recommend these three ladies to come stand by you. Um, they were not my everyday go-get-coffee buddies that I had spent the last 10 years of my life with, but when all hell hit the fan, they were the women who rose up and took my arms and stood beside me and grabbed hold and did not let go. So, And those are the kind of women you need. Some of them reached out to me on their own. Others of them the Lord dropped in my spirit and said, that's your girl right there. I want you to contact her, and I want you to stay at her heels. And so I did that. And um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. I love you. Um, and I know they, they are not looking for any recognition, um, but I, I'm just happy to give it to them. So, and then lastly, I'd like to thank my parents, my mom, my dad, um, my mother-in-law and father-in-law. Uh, you know, um, my mother went through a, a walk with cancer probably 30 years ago, and in the, the recesses of her mind, never did she think that her daughter would have to walk through anything. And so I know it was a big, big struggle for her to have to go to the throne room with her baby. Um, nothing's pleasant when your babies are hurting. All of us mamas know that. So um, thank you, Mom, for standing, for uh, advocating in the throne room for me. So I appreciate it. I love y'all. So those are all my things. So and now let's get on with it. So uh, one of the reasons as we're getting started that I'm up here today wigless, um, my hair is coming in. Mike can see some of it, but one of the reasons, um, in fact, the main reason, and it's not because my husband thinks I look ravishing like this, which I'm like, what? Like, that is so weird. So, but it's not because he and my son-in-law said, please never put the wig on again. Like, just don't do it. Um, but it's because I think that there is something that the Lord desires out of us when it comes to being transparent. So, and don't get me wrong, I've been in a plastic surgeon's office for about seven months. I don't know where this is going to end. Like, I'm like, hmm, I could do this, and I could do this. <laughs> I could do so many things. So, but at the end of the day, I do think that one of the things that really bothers me about 
uh, us as Christians and us as the church is we refuse to be vulnerable with each other. Um, we hate the idea of letting someone else know that we're going through crap or that we're in the middle of a process or that everything does not look perfect. So today I give you permission to drop whatever mask you came in those doors with. So whatever it is, whether it is um, a marriage issue, a financial issue, a health issue, a child issue, a parent issue, a personal you and God issue, today you have permission to sit in this place place totally vulnerable with me and with the Lord and with the people that you are around. Not only does the church not enjoy this this, um, idea of vulnerability, but the world hates it too. Like we all walk around with this sense that we just are these perfect little people knowing that we're not. I mean, we all know, like it's not a secret to anybody that we're going through things. It's not a secret that in this room that there are marriage issues going on. It's not a secret in this room that there are children who are running from the Lord and who are not sitting in here with you today because they're doing their own thing. It's not a secret in this room that there are those of you who need help financially. You can't get it together. It's not a secret that there are addictions. Not a secret that there are men sitting in here addicted to porn. There are women sitting in here addicted to porn. But we come in here every week and we act like everything's just hunky-dory. So today is not that day. Today is a day that I prophesy over you that there is victory, there is hope, there is a healer, there is a redeemer, there is a God who sits on the throne of heaven who wants to operate in your life as a king, as one who has authority, as one who can orchestrate and move mountains and shape your history. Today is that day. So today is a day that we don't leave here with the chains and the bondages and the dysfunctions and the disruptions and the chaos and the turmoil and the sadness and the depression and the anxiety. Today is a day that you are going to receive hope because there is a God who is able. There is a God who has shown himself faithful. And if he's faithful to me, the Bible says he is zero respecter of persons. I don't know if you know what that means, but that means that he does not look at me any differently than he looks at you. Not any differently at all. And the same God who stepped into my life and my situation is stepping into your life and your situation even as I speak right now today. He is here, and he is ready, and he is able. So that's what's going to happen today. So the problem with our society is we are a quick fix. We are a quick fix, and we are perfected. I mean, I love Instagram. I can handle it. I kind of am on there. I kind of have to set my time limit to make sure I'm not over-scrolling. I kind of have to set my time limit, make sure I'm not over-posting, make sure I'm not over-bragging on my children, make sure I'm not, you know, overtaking the selfies over all this. But Snapchat is like a whole different ball game. So it's like a whole, I, I can't get it. it. I know that tells my age a whole lot. So any of you maybe 30 and younger, maybe you get Snapchat, you understand it, you understand this thing where it's like click, clack, click, clack, you know, just click, clack. Like in a 10-minute car ride, I'm like, Stella, how many, who are you snapping? Like what, what in the world and why? And it's like filter, 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 snap, snap, snap. She's like, I'm just talking to people. I'm just talking to people. So, and, and what we're doing is we're continuing to perpetuate and develop, develop a society of people that's just this instant, quick fix, 
perfect picture, never vulnerable, never real. God forbid if she were to take a picture that didn't look right in the Snapchat. God forbid if the angle is wrong, the pimple shows, the tooth isn't right, the double chin shows up. I mean, it's just nothing, 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 nothing of realness that, that we're tapping in. Um, and we as a society do everything we can to avoid being real. Everything that we, we perpetuate is perfection. And sometimes I think we bring that into the house of God. We bring it into our relationship with the Lord. We're good to grab hold of our imperfections when it comes to needing him at first. You know, that bottom road that we, you know, that when we're just down and out, that first moment of salvation when we're like, yes. I need you, Jesus, because I'm so broken, and I'm so without, and I'm so lost, and I'm going under, and I'm so depressed. And after that, we step into these walls, and we begin to take on the characteristics of the world again because we have these false ideas and these false images because we've served a perfect God, and we expect because we serve a perfect God that our life is then therefore going to demonstrate perfection. And, and that is not how it works. We kick, we scream, we mask, we medicate. We give participation medals. I mean, I remember when Stella was four and did gymnastics. Her wall is loaded with so many medals. I mean, it's just like medal, 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 medal. And she's like, gosh, I was really good. And I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> you and all the other thousand children that were there who all got first that day. Right? We pass, pass you on up. I think you can only fail a kid now in school. I think maybe, I don't know, one year. They just pass you up, pass you up, pass you up. Imagine if we did this. I mean, we haven't got to watch professional sports in a long time, but imagine if we did this. with profe- Imagine if Jordan didn't actually have to be the best. If he didn't have to practice, if he didn't have to go, I don't know what I don't know. I don't know why I'm even talking about basketball. So didn't have to go to the hoops and shoot, and you know. Imagine if he didn't have to practice, just day after day and hour after hour. I tell you what I'm more familiar with is banjo playing. So (laughs) that's what I know. Imagine, just imagine the life if I didn't have to listen to a banjo while I watch TV. But he's the best, right? So effort, you got to put in effort. So we don't like that. We kick, we scream, we medicate. Now we just re-identify ourselves. So if we're uncomfortable, if we're uncomfortable or there's a struggle or there's something we don't like, we don't like ourselves for the day, then we just say, well, that's not me anyway. I must be somebody else because that's what I can do when I'm uncomfortable, when I'm in a struggle, when I'm, when I'm in this place of pain. Um, I'm not sure at the beginning of this journey that I had a really good theology on struggling and on suffering. I remember growing up in the 80s and 90s, and I I remember being at altar calls. um, This is going to be far stretched for some of you younger people. Some of you older people remember the days. Remember the days when, when we taught confession so 
demonstratively that people would come to an altar and couldn't even say what they were struggling with. So you would ask them what you're here for prayer for, and they couldn't verbalize it because God forbid that they verbalize it because if they verbalize it, that must mean that they're giving power to the enemy because you can have what you say. So it was just, a, you know, it's just, it, it is, it is part truth. Um, it is whole truth. Like you can have what you say. Um, but how is somebody supposed to pray for somebody if you can't be real enough to say, hey, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. This is what the doctor said. This is what my husband did. This is what's going on with my child. Like couldn't even, couldn't even verbalize because um, the charismatic faith taught us that to serve God meant that there was no struggle. That there, there wasn't this place where we had to wrestle with God. There weren't these moments that things didn't line up in the natural that we had to fight and do spiritual warfare for. We were taught that that's just an impossibility. That if you serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that everything is going to go just as planned at all times. And the truth is, God has prophesied to us that we are victorious, that we are overcomers, that we are able to move mountains. The Bible says, speak to this mountain, say, tell it to get out of the way, and it will get out of the way. The Bible does declare that that's who we are as the people of God. But nowhere in Scripture are we guaranteed that this life is a, a portion to us just because of, of being a Christian. The Bible says that we enter into a partnership with Jesus Christ. We enter into a, an atmosphere that declares to us that we have to do what it is that he's saying to do. We have to lend our ear, our mouth, our body, our being to him at all times. And we have to line ourselves up with who he is in order for us to walk in, in that kind of life. And I just don't think that that's where I um, landed. I very much landed... Um, Sometimes in the camp that if we're struggling, there must be something that's wrong. We've done something. We've opened up some door. We've just been evil, mean, vile people, right? And, and that's just not true. The Bible tells us in James 1, 2 through 4, you can turn there. I'm going to pull it up. Um, you can put it on the screen. I'm going to pull it up here. Because I like, I think he's got it in NIV on the screen, but I'm going to read it in the message. You can still follow along in NIV, though. Um, the message says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed and not deficient in any way. So you mean after Jesus died on the cross, after he has done his thing for us, that... We are told that we're supposed to rejoice if we have trials. We're not told, rejoice, you're never again going to have a trial. Rejoice if you are facing a difficult situation. Rejoice when challenges and tests come at you. Because under pressure, under pressure, you are going to become mature. You're going to become mature. You're going to become mature. And I mean, that, that word just kept going over in me, mature, mature, mature. And I look around and I think, I'm not sure I see a mature society. And sometimes I'm not sure that I see a lot of maturity going on in the church. Sometimes I think that we are entitled. Sometimes I think that we're selfish. Sometimes I think we're a little soft around the edges. 
that the wind blows and we, you know, just kind of fall over. Um, Stella this year, she's, she's a gymnast, she's a dancer, she's a cheerleader. And in ninth grade, she decided, I want to do something with a ball. Like, I just want to be athletic. And I'm like, Gym- gymnastics is incredibly athletic. Cheerleading is incredibly athletic. What are you talking about? She's like, no, mom, I want a ball. Like, I want to hold a ball. I want to hit a ball. I want to, like, something. I just need to do something with a ball. I'm like, well, this is going to be fun. Like, she's in ninth grade and uh, could get a scholarship for cheerleading. But yeah, let's go for it. Let's figure out what we can do for a ball. So I kid you not, she picked up a tennis racket twice, picked it up twice, and said to me, riding to school one day, I think I'm going to try out for tennis today. Now, I was thinking in my head, this is not going to go well. Like, (laughs) it is so not going to go well. So she goes to school, and she tries out for tennis, and she came home, and she said, nope, didn't make the tennis team. (laughs) I said, well, yeah, baby, that's because, like, we got to pick the racket up a lot, like, you got to pick it up a lot, a lot more than two times. Like, it's not just, you know, playing outside so the neighbor sees you and thinks you're cute with a little tennis racket <laughs> and a ball. So you've got to do some work. You've got to do some grit. You've got to get in there and do something. So her immaturity in tennis was showing through. She, she did not make the team. And I'm so amazed and so proud at her maturity because the next week she came home and said, well, there's soccer tryouts today. I think I'm going to try out for soccer. <laughs> And I said, okay, I think that might be easier. Like, like, can you run? Can you kick? Like, if we can do those two things, you might make the team. You might be able to make it. So, believe it or not, she made the soccer team. So, now we're doing something with a ball. But I said all that to say that, that there are people, there are children, there are adults who the moment crisis hits, the moment we don't get our way, the moment something doesn't go like it's supposed to go, the moment we get bad news, the moment we get told no, the moment we get told that, um, our checkbook balance is nothing. The moment that we get told a doctor's report, the moment we get told that our uh, spouse has done something, the moment we get bad news of any kind, we just crawl up, we retreat, we refuse to face the situation, we refuse to die, and because of that, refuse to die to ourselves, and because of that, we're just anemic. We're just anemic people in the church, walking around unable to... to have victory in our lives. And one thing that I know, that I know that I know that my girls need to see, I don't know about your kids, I don't know if you're, if you're a parent in here or not, but I'm ready for my kids to come to church and see, be able to look at couples and say, hey, I've been watching Jonathan and Bethany. They are overcomers. I'm ready for Stella to be able to look up at some people in this congregation and be able to say, hey, you know what? I saw Miss Laverne go through this trial, and she overcame. She did it again and again and again. I'm ready for Sophia to be able to look at some people like Miss Allison and say, she is the strongest woman I know. Like, the enemy hits her, and she just gets up and she goes again and she goes again and she goes again. I'm ready for Olivia to be able to look at other parents. I'm ready for Olivia to be able to look at Anna and say, you know what? Anna faced a crisis and yet she's going and she's strong and she's stable and she's moving ahead and ahead and ahead. And instead, we don't offer our our children these kinds of scenarios. I'm not sure that our children see us as being victorious in the church. So I made a decision. I mean, in the middle of being bald, in the middle of, um, you don't even know, want to know what this looks like under here. Sometimes I just stand in the mirror and I laugh. I'm like, this is hilarious. Like, it is the funniest thing. I look at Mark and I'm like, did you ever? Like, what have you ever thought like this? <laughs> they need to show this to every 15-year-old boy. So just <laughs> nude. 
And I'm knowing, unless you're ready to fight, dude, you just need to stay away. <laughs> so away from girls. But, but I'm ready for, for um, us to understand what victory looks like. For us to understand what a struggle looks like. And so I made a decision in the middle of knowing my hair isn't here, in the middle of knowing that um, I'm not all put back together, that every breath that I have that God has given me, every one of them will be spent testifying of the goodness of God. The goodness of God that overtakes us. It literally chases after us. You know, the Bible says that if you make your bed in hell, he will find you there. So even things that you have done yourself, even things you have done yourself, the Bible says he will hunt you down, he will find you, and the goodness of God will overtake you. So, And I am just so grateful and so thankful and so humble to be able to be here and do this. Listen to Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Um, you can get that on the screen. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, says this. There's much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others, but instead you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. He's calling us to be a mature people. He is calling us to not be the same people we were when we got born again, I got born again at, when I was 15 years old. And do you know, in the middle of this crisis, there were moments that I felt like, girl, you are not 15 and you better stir yourself now and get out of this. So because the enemy wanted to suck me back to places of immaturity in my walk with God. And he is demanding in 2021 that we step up to the plate and we act like who we are. We live like who we are. We proclaim who he is, and we walk in the victory that he has provided for us. And babies cannot do that. Babies cannot do that. So um, I, I brought this with me today. Um, anybody over, I don't know, how old you have to be, really? <laughs> so you, you probably don't know what this is, do you? Yeah, I figured. <laughs> I figured as much. This is what they call a roll of film for all of you, okay? All of you who are under 25, maybe, maybe 30. So I know that I could pick this up and I could take a picture of myself and the people in China can see it immediately, right? Okay, but this is how we had to do it back in the dark ages when I was growing up. We had to take it, and we never knew. Like, we didn't know if it was blurry. We didn't know if the pimple was showing. We didn't know if the double chin was there, if the muffin top was there. There was no filter. And then we had to trust the U.S. Post Service with this, which was... So scary. I mean, it was, you talk about intercession, it was so scary. One, one time I went to camp, um, I was a good girl, but I did kiss 
a little bit. So, <laughs> so anyway, anyway, there was this guy that I met from North Carolina, and we did kiss for a second, and <laughs> he was on one of these. He was on one of these, and so I came home, and I had to, I mean, like, I'm just like, God, I want to see him again. You know, like, please get my film back to me. Get my film back to me so I can see him. I was in a class called Zoom, which was Zany Opportunities for Open Minds. I don't know why they named it that. Anyway, I was in this special um, class at school, and so um, they built a dark room one year for us to, to get to go into. They built a dark room, and... Um, that was one of the coolest and funnest things. I know that um, we laugh about this, but it was so fun and so interesting for me to finally figure out how this works because all I knew is that if you, if you put it in your camera and you opened it, then the first four or five would be exposed. They would never work. Um, you know, that's all I knew, and then I knew you sent it off. So I, I got to participate in this dark room, and it was amazing to me the processes that all of this had to go through in order to produce an image. And I think about process, and I think about struggle, and I think about James 1, 2 through 4 that tells us that we're to count it all joy because something is being produced in us. Something is being produced in us. Something is being produced in us. And, and the, the truth of the matter is sometimes we abort this process, and we open the door way too soon. We destroy what it is that God's wanting to do because I think there's, I don't know, Seven or nine, seven or nine buckets I had to dip that film in. Seven or nine buckets. And we were a bunch of eighth graders, so half of us were out. The, the dark room was only big enough for like half of the class, so half of us are playing on the P field. The other half are in the classroom. And I mean, time and time again, somebody would open that door in the middle of the process, and I'd be like, oh, you know, you just destroyed what I was working on in here. Because any bit of disruption, any bit of taking it out of that process, any bit of, of not allowing the film to do what it needed to do in the chemicals when it needed to do it would destroy it. It would destroy it, and we wouldn't, we wouldn't have it. And so I, I think about the fact that God desires process out of us. He desires this process to mature us. And my story begins on August the 21st. August the 21st, um, I had had a biopsy um, about three days before. And on August the 21st, I got a phone call that I had stage 1A breast cancer. And so I remember calling Mark. Um, I, I remember, first of all, um, I remember the girl who was doing the, the biopsy. Y'all are going to think I'm weird. Um, but at the moment, the very first moment of my diagnosis I just was not incredibly rattled. The rattling took place a, a couple of weeks later. So at the beginning of the process, I was like, wow, she is brilliant. Like, she is just brilliant. She was talking to me during the biopsy. She was talking about cells lining up. She was basically, I think, telling me, you have cancer, even though I can't tell you you have cancer. So she was like, it's amazing. Like, all these little cells are just marching, just marching, marching, marching. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, she's just brilliant. Like, that's just so cool. And... um. Anyway, my doctor called, and he's crying, telling me. And I'm like, you don't have to cry. I'm like, God is good. God's got me. This, you know, this, this uh, screening did what it was supposed to do. It caught something very early, which it did, and I'm incredibly grateful for God leading me. Um, went home and told Mark, told my girls, 
told the elders of the church. Um, and I, I remember going to the surgeon uh, the following Monday, and it was very, very quick decision that I made as soon as they gave me the options that I had. Um, and immediately I said, okay, here's what I want to do. I want to do a mastectomy, and we're going to get it over with, and we're going to be done. I had checked off every box pretty much that my mind could uh, orchestrate. So I checked off the box of um, announcing that Jesus was bigger than cancer. I checked off the box of uh, surgery. That's going to be my option. Check that box off. Checked off the box of my plan. Checked off the box of me still being in control. Checked off the box of, I know exactly what's going to happen. I've seen this happen before. I've seen it in my mom. So perfect picture. You know, here's what's going to happen. Boom, 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 boom. So I was good. I was like, well, isn't that a cute little story? Isn't that, I mean, it's just a cute little story. I'll have surgery. I'll be fine. And, you know, the, the rest is history. And so although that was, um, you know, although there were moments of faith in that, I remember there were a couple of weeks before I told my parents and that first week at church, um, and this was months before any of you knew. I mean, I remember worshiping on the front row just with my hands shaking. So I don't want to act like I, I wasn't struggling, but it was very much a struggle that I could manage. I had no idea that God was about to, to push me into a place of really <laughs> having to trust him. And before we go any further, um, I, I don't want to ever create room for there to be um, wrong theology when it comes to sickness. There are all kinds of reasons that we struggle, all kinds of reasons that we're put into positions where our faith is being tested. Some of those are of our own doing. Some of those are of the enemy's doing. And sometimes they're just a part of God's plan. But what I will say about God's plan and struggle, he never uses something that he has redeemed us from to cause maturity in us. Does it give us an opportunity to mature? Yes, because it's a struggle where our faith is being tested. So I don't want you to get confused in here today and think that I think that God gave me cancer to mature me. Are we all good and on the same page with that? So it's not necessarily a lesson on healing today or what I think about the cross and redemption and the things that he redeemed us from by having stripes upon his back, but I don't want to give the enemy any room to cause you to think that I think... <laughs> That, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, yeah. So anyway, I don't think that God gave me cancer. I do think that in the middle of a struggle, God gave me an opportunity to grow up and mature and to grow up in him. So um, the same me was operating. The same me that has been me since the time I was born. The same immature me was operating in those first few months. And the same immature me is the Robin who is a perfectionist, the Robin who likes to check her boxes off, the Robin who likes to be good, the Robin who likes to perform, the Robin who likes to have it all under control. So that thing in us that we crucify, that it just continually rises its head our way. Anybody have any of those things? Maybe yours are not mine, but it's, it's the me that is the immature me. And through the process, I would get so frustrated because, like, there I am again. Like, why do I keep showing up? Why do I keep showing up? I thought I had dealt with me, and, and I had not dealt with me. And so um, that, that is where I was. I had the surgery September 11th. We had Libby's Blessing Way a few weeks later. And, I mean, I was just as dandy as could be. Um, I had a surgery scheduled for mid-October that would take place a few weeks before my granddaughter was going to be born, and I, I would just was set. 
So my life was set. Um, Mid-October, I had no idea that they do something that's called an oncotype score. I'm not sure if any of you know what that is, but they now take a a tumor that they remove from you. Um, They take it and they analyze it. They put it under a microscope and they find out all of the details about this tumor. And this tumor, I mean, these markings determine whether or not you're a good candidate for chemotherapy. Now, chemo had never entered my mind from the very beginning. From the very beginning, the radiologist said, you're going to be fine. The screening did what it needed to do. So you're going to go to the doctor, and you're going to have surgery, and you're going to be great. Chemo just wasn't a part of the plan. And this oncotype score came back, ranking my... um, it really, they didn't call it a tumor because it was caught so early. It was a small mass that had broken through um, one of the ducts. And so it was like less than two, I don't even remember now, two millimeters, I guess, less than that. Anyway, um, I came back as a candidate who needed chemo. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't know what I said. But <laughs> it was not part of my plan, I can tell you that. So... How many of you have bumped into things that are just not part of your plan? That you feel like you're, you've got a grip on it, and then something shows up, and you're just like, heck no, this was not what I was thinking at all. And I remember looking at my plastic surgeon, and I said, I, I'm not sure. She said, we've got to cancel your surgery. I said, I'm not sure that we're canceling any surgery. I said, because I'm not sure that I'm doing chemo. And she says, well, you need to do chemo. And I said, well, I'm not sure I want to do chemo. And so we go back and forth with this conversation. Um, and I was like, I'm just not sure about this. And she looked me in the eyes, um, you know, and I said to her, I said, I have a grandbaby coming. I have plans that need to happen. I'm on the calendar for October 26th for this surgery, and I'm not changing that. And she looked me in the eye, and she said, did you really think this was going to be like a two-month ordeal? I said, yeah. As a matter of fact, I did. She said, honey, you need to give us a year of your life. And I mean, I was just like, I I went into a place where I had it all under control into a place where I had to process some things. And some things had to be processed in me. So get your Bibles out and let's turn to 1 Samuel. There's really a multitude of stories we could pick about battling. There's a multitude of characters we could pick in the Bible. There is not anyone in the Word, including Jesus himself, who did not have to go through a process, right? So I don't know why we want to think that we, we get to escape it. <laughs> that somehow we are the ones who get to escape process when Jesus and Joseph and Noah and Mary and Moses and Peter and Paul, and the list goes on. And on and on and on. Everybody has to go through these processes, but not me. Not me. I don't like them, so I shouldn't have to go through them. And besides that, you know, I remember having a conversation with one of my mentors. And I was like, if I'm keeping my end of the bargain, Jesus needs to keep his end of the bargain. And she's like, I said, because that's how it works. The Bible is full of ifs. If I do this, then Jesus does this. If I do this, then Jesus does this. If I do this. And so I I was griping about that one day. And she said, yeah, but how does that eliminate walking that out? Or struggle, or process, or pain. 
She said, that doesn't eliminate that. And I was like, well, sure it does. And, and I just got in the Word. I'm like, well, no, it really doesn't. It doesn't eliminate that at all. Um, I'm just one of those people who wanted to avoid, who wanted to mask, who wanted to check off some boxes. And I entered into this thing kicking and screaming for a little bit. So um, we're going to read about the, the most basic familiar battle that we know of. And we're going to pull some things out um, with our testimony. I, I, I'm just really a simple girl, so I went to the, the most simple um, and most well-known battle because I want you to leave this morning with something anchored in you. I want you to leave with something that you can pull up. And surely you've all been to Sunday school, right, One at one time or another. And, I mean, you only have to go about three times before you hear David and Goliath. It's just one of the ones that rotate in, right? I mean, it's Noah's, Noah's Ark, David and Goliath, you know, and then Jesus and the resurrection. So um, surely you've heard of David and Goliath. So it's real familiar. It's a passage that you'll be able to pull from, that you'll be able to go to and get stuff out of. Now, David, um, it was prophesied in 1 Samuel 17... I mean, in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, um, it, he, he was anointed as king. You remember that story? So uh, you, you don't have to pull it up. So um, anyway, um, he was anointed as king at that moment in that chapter. So this little shepherd boy who was outside wasn't even invited to his own party, right? Just out there doing his thing. All his brothers and his daddy are in there manipulating the situation. And, um, you know, and then, then they realize this, is, this isn't the one that God wants. You know, so we got to go back and get this other dude. So in, in chapter 16, verse 13, he's anointed as king. 20 years later, in 2 Samuel 5, 3, he actually becomes king over Israel. 20 years later, and I think, gosh, how many prophecies have we gotten? Prophecies that we're supposed to marry so-and-so, so we marry so-and-so, and then five years into it, we're like, this is not even accurate. Like, this was the stupidest prophecy I've ever been given. Like, they were so off, and I'm out of here, right? All these prophecies over my life, prophecies over your life, I'm sure, Destinies that you have sitting on the inside of you, waiting to be birthed, waiting to come out. Words that you know God has given you, words that are deep down in there, that in your secret places with him. In the closets of your life, when you go in and you spend time with the Lord and he tells you, here, here is who you are. You're going to be this and that and this and that and this and, th and that. See, we all have a calling. We all have a purpose. We all have an identity in him. We all have dreams. We all have things placed on the inside of us that are placed there by the God of the universe. The God who created you. The God who knew you before you were in your mama's belly. He's got them in there and yet we just expect because, okay, I know Jesus now and so, yeah, here I am. Today I'm a king. And, and that's just not how it works. And, you know, I think about Jesus and I think about um, just who he, he is. 33 years of a process. And he wasn't even human. He was God. Could have stopped it at any time. 33 years he hung in there for you and for me. 33 years. So we're going to look at, at part of David's life for a minute. Part of David's life. Um, and I'm going to just kind of tell you pieces of my story. 
in this, and, and I'm going to hope that if you're going through something today, if you're going through a dark moment, maybe a struggle, a, a moment in your life that you don't quite understand, that you can't wrap your mind around, you can't wrap your faith around, you can't wrap your hands around, you can't hold it by the neck and just control it, and it just does exactly what you want when you say how you want it, what time you want. I'm, I'm going to pray today that you get some victory, that you get some victory and that you know how to, how to walk out of here. Um, let's start in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. You can go back and read it all together. I'll probably chop it up as I read it. It's a really long chapter. So go back and read it. See what the Lord speaks to you as well. Um, so we'll, we'll start in verse 3. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, a bronze javelin between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron shepherd weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him. This champion of an enemy is, is fully described here, and, and I like the fact that the Bible didn't just call him Goliath, but called him a champion meaning that he had proven to win battles over and over and over again. He is described and he is marked and he is named as a champion. And when I think about cancer, I think about the statistics of what cancer looks like. If we were to name diseases on this planet, we would say, probably that cancer is a pretty big champion. We can name stats about it. We can name information about it. We all know a relative who has had it. We all know people who have died from it. And so I think about this champion who's sitting there screaming at them. Um, and I think about my life from the moment they told me that I was going to have to have chemo, I became obsessed with information. Totally obsessed with information. I mean, I was on this thing, my little time clock. I hope y'all have yours set on some kind of time. Mine was coming up all day. It's like, you're out of time. I know it. Click, add time. You're out of time. I know it. Click, add time. You're out of time. Click, I know it. Add time. I'm just adding time over and over and over and over, and I'm not exaggerating, midnight hours over and over and over and over. Googling the same thing. You visited this page two hours ago. I know. Let's read it again. You visited this page 15 minutes ago. I know. Let's ring it again. My children would walk by me. Why are you still on your phone? I'm like, I'm just reading, just getting some information. Mark's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm reading, getting some information. I'm reading, getting some information. I'm reading, getting some information. Some of you could tell me, 
many, many more things about the stats of your situation than you can about the God of the universe who came to heal you, save you, deliver you, set you free. You can tell me why why the stats say your marriage isn't going to make it, why the stats say your health isn't going to make it, why the stats say your children aren't going to make it, why the stats say your finances are going under, why the stats say yada, 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 yada. And God is looking for a people who will proclaim more about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and about who he is and what he's done, what kind of God he is, then they tell the world about their problems. And there was this fight. There was this pull. There was this information overload that I felt felt like I needed to have. There came a moment when I had to let go of that. Um, But that's how I started my battle. Just holding on to this, this phone, holding on to every bit of information I could get, holding on to any friend who had gone through any battle with cancer. Let's go to verse 8. Verse 8 said that this champion cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you even come to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and you shall serve us. You do know that that's what the enemy wants from you, right? You do know he's really not after your marriage or your health or your finances or your children or your checkbook or your sex life or your eating habits, or your uh, temper, or your nerves, your peace, your patience. He wants you to serve him. He is after the seat that the king of kings holds in your life. So the Philistines said, If I defy the armies of Israel this day, give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and grateful uh, and, and greatly afraid. Verse 16, and the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days morning and evening. 40 days of this taunting going on. 40 days of him just screaming in their ear about who they were versus who he was. Who they were versus who he was. And I'm telling you, if you've ever been there where it's just boom, 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 boom. You're going under, you're going under, you're going under, you're going under. You're going to look like a fool. You look like an idiot. You just are stupid to trust me, stupid to believe anything, just over and over and over. And your emotions and your mindset get into a place where where there is nothing but fear that you become riddled with. They were gratefully afraid. And I'm thinking for 40 days you're afraid? You're the army of the living God, which is what David's going to come in and tell them in a minute. The army of the living God and you are sorely afraid? Let me tell you something. Words that the enemy speaks to us create pictures in our minds. Creates pictures of defeat in our minds. And I was having some of the most vile, ugly, demonic, sin-driven thoughts that a person could have. I remember having visions of my granddaughter. Didn't have her yet, but I was having visions. I, I, I think I knew she was a girl, just saying. But I was having visions of her just walking around with a picture of me. 
because she never would get to know me. I was having visions of, literal visions of Olivia buttoning all her sister's wedding gowns on their wedding day because I wouldn't be there. I was having visions of my mother by my casket, having visions of Mark alone, burying a second wife. See, the enemy is real. And we come in here with all this pretense that we're not going through these kinds of things. And some of us are at home really battling and really struggling and really having to pull down. The Bible says it's not flesh and blood that we wrestle with, but it's these principalities, these thoughts, these things in high places that we have to pull down. I was having visions, literally, of Sela's graduation without me being there. And I remember my kids and my husband all walking around me, just trying to pull me out of this this funk that I was in, this place that that I was at. And Mark, (laughs) he would just say to me, he's like, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know something will happen because you always find a way out of this kind of pit when you get in it, you know. And I would say, I know, but I don't know what that is. I don't know what that moment is. I don't know what it could be. So I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. He would say, you are not trying. Look at you. You're glued to your phone. You're weeping. You're rehearsing all these things. He's like, you're, you're not even fighting. I'm like, I am fighting. Don't you dare tell me how to fight. <laughs> right? That's how we do. That's how we do. We, we get into these places. So I love the fact that this little shepherd boy, non-warrior, comes up and, and changes the story. He's been sent down, and, and I like verse 26. It says, well, before I read that, I'll tell you, there was this moment. There was this moment that um, Mark and I had been watching um, Downton Abbey. I've got to hurry up. So um, Mark and I had been watching Downton Abbey, and uh, we would watch that every night. I would kind of watch it because I was also on my phone Googling all the information. Um, and so he went to bed, and I was sleeping everywhere. Like, Sophia came in one day, and she's like, are you and Daddy okay? I'm like, well, yeah, we're okay. Why wouldn't we be okay? And she's like, well, I don't think you've, I don't think you've slept in the bedroom since August. I'm like, well, of course not. I've been doing warfare. You know, I've been doing warfare. She's like, uh, no, you've been on your phone. But anyway, <laughs> I remember this night that, that Mark went to bed, and so I went in to love on him and hug him. And I remember I was in such panic, just so, I mean, like overwhelming panic. I remember hugging him and like the nails in my fingernails just almost digging his back. I, I was needing someone to rescue me. I was thinking, surely this isn't just going to be me and God. Surely it's not just me in a boat with him. Because I need somebody to get me out of this. I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to fight me. I was texting my friends their stories. I was texting the people that I needed to pray for me. And I just remember grabbing his back and holding on, just almost clenching it. And I remember at that moment thinking, you better get a different plan. 
And I remember God saying, because it is just you and me in this boat one more time. And I, I have a good history of it being just me and God in a boat out in the middle of the dark sea. And so I decided, okay, here we go. Here we go. And I took a deep breath, and I remember leaving that night thinking, I'm going to put my phone down, and I'm just going to dig. I'm just going to have to dig into who I know that God is. And so David enters the scene um, in verse 26, David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done for that man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God. Who is God to you? Who is he to you? I mean, we come to church. He's that person that we serve on Sundays. He's the person we pray to when we say a blessing. But who is he to you? Do you have a personal thing with him where you know who he is to you? And where you can tell somebody else about him. Not just about your problems. Not just about your anxieties. Not just about your depression. Not just about what your husband has done. Not just about your addictions. But, but a God who you can literally sit down and tell somebody else about. And that's what David begins to say to them. He's a living God. And this is Old Testament stuff, folks. Old Testament. He's like, look, he is a living God. You mean you've been out here for 40 days letting him taunt you and scream at you and put imaginations in your head and drive you bonkers and crazy and you've run around in chaos? I can just imagine the Israelites, the whole bunch of them apparently, the whole bunch of them just on a mountaintop, not knowing what to do for 40 days. Not knowing what to do. Had he not defeated enemies for them before in their past? Was there nothing they could pull up and conjure? Was there no amount of faith they could attach their emotions to that they only could attach their emotions to the taunting of the enemy? And so I decided, you've got to pull that down. We build so many memorials to these dead things in our past. Moments when we've been molested, moments when we've been hurt, moments when our spouse did us wrong, moments when we broke down, moments when we couldn't get up, moments when we had no money, moments when we didn't think we were going to make it. And we just let these things taunt us. It's time for the people of God to build memorials in their life about the victories of God and the things that God has done for them. It's time that we mark those things in our life and we take hold of them and we cause them to be more for us than anything that the enemy could do. And so David begins to do this, and he begins to even say to them, you can't defeat him? You mean, you, mean you, you have nothing here? And he's like, hey, I can take him out. I've defeated a lion. I've defeated a bear. I've rescued a sheep. Yeah, give me, give me an opportunity. Nothing in his mind was home. He went with confidence with confidence, an inner confidence, not driven by defeat, not driven by torment, not driven by what could be. So I asked you this morning, what has God done for you? David began to proclaim it. He said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it, I struck it, I delivered forth from the mouth, and, when, and I, I think I need glasses. Like, I think I read my phone so much better. So, Yeah. 
I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. He has defied, and I'm telling you, I made a decision. I made a decision that I would not be tormented. I would not allow these visions to, to rule my life, and I began to replace. The Bible says that when we're wrestling and when we're battling, that we have to pull stuff down. We have to pull stuff down, and we have to begin to proclaim the goodness of God. One of the visions that I um, began to have is I began to see myself, um, well, all sorts of things. I began to see me standing on the front row holding Johnny Love's hand in worship when she was six years old. So I began to see myself at my kids' weddings. I began to see myself at graduation. But one particular thing, and I didn't tell anybody about this vision stuff that was going on, but one particular thing that happened is I had a vision of taking gifts to all my doctors. So just a vision that I had of my own. I thought, you know what, um, instead of me being in torment and being anxious, I'm going to take them gifts one day, and I'm going to thank them for everything that they've done for me. I'm just going to pour out and lavish on them, um, every one of them. And one day, Mark and I were driving to chemo, and he pulled over at Publix, and I was like, why are you going, what, what do you have to get at Publix? He's like, I'll be right back. So he comes out with three bouquets of flowers, Starbucks cards, gift cards, all sorts of things. And we get in the car, I was like, what, what have you done that for? And he's like, we're going to take them gifts today. And at that moment, I was sitting in the car, and I was like, yep, God and I have this. Like, God and I have this. We're making progress. The end of the story, I love it. I'm going to skip a few things for lack of time. Um, but I want you to think about your life this morning, and I want you to think about dark moments in your life. The band can come on up or whoever's coming up to play. Um, you all know the story. David picks up his own weapons, and uh, he picks his, his own stuff up, and he defeats Goliath, cuts off his head. And here's the Israelites again, um, which are a replication of us, who we are. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley into the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sheriam, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. The end of my story is that I went through chemo. You all heard the reports of, um, you know, just no side effects except hair loss. Uh, on the 19th of January, I went in um, thinking that I would have to have four scans this year, thinking I would have to have them quarterly. I went in and said, so when do, we, when do we start with the scans? When do we start with, you know, making sure everything's gone? And she's like, well, why would we do scans? Like, you are, you've, you're cancer-free. She's like, we're not doing scans. Like, there's no reason for that. I said, what do you mean there's no reason for that? She said, well, there, there really is no reason for that. Like, you were cancer-free when they cut the cancer out the first time. Chemo was just an additional little benefit we gave you. She's like, you're done. You're done, except for reconstruction. And so I remember telling Mark 
how amazed, somewhere in that journey, somewhere in that journey, I lost sight of the fact that victory would look like what victory looks like. Have you ever done that? Like you think it's going to be good. You think the story's going to be good, but you know, like, yeah, it's going to be good, but I'm going to have to have four scans a year. Yeah, but it's going to be good, but I'm going to be attached to these people for the next 10 years of my life is what I was thinking. And God says, Mm-mm, no, we're going to go in and plunder. We're going to go in and plunder what the enemy meant for good. I mean, meant for evil. We're going to watch God turn it around for good. So as we end today, I want you to stand up if you find yourself in a dark spot today. In a spot where you know you need God to come through. In a spot that's not pleasant and not peaceful, a spot you wouldn't have picked for yourself. stir yourself to have a vision of yourself walking out with plunder. Everybody just close your eyes. Those of you who are standing up, I want you to have a vision of yourself walking out with plunder. I don't know what that means for you or what that looks like for you. But I want want you to have a vision of you holding the goods in your hand. Holding the goods of what the enemy meant to take. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray for these who are standing this morning. Lord, and I just bless them. And I prophesy victory over their life. I prophesy increase over their life. I prophesy peace over their life. I declare this morning that they are the head and not the tail, that they are above and not beneath, that they are the righteousness of God, that all their needs are met according to Christ Jesus. I thank you that you are the banner of victory over their life. You are their Jehovah Rapha. I thank you, Father, that their story will be that God is good and that the goodness of God just overwhelmed them and took over. I thank you that their stories will be proclaimed from the foundations of the earth and that generations will hear the goodness of God, the good things of God, the good stories of God. In Jesus' name, the rest of you can stand to your feet. And- Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message. 